This morning we're continuing our sermon series called We're Not There Yet. And last week we looked at um, the idea that you know, we're, we're, we're multifaceted beings. We're physical, emotional, and spiritual beings. And that we continue to grow um, almost, well, we can't stop the growth. We try physically. Um, emotionally, it just happens. You continue to grow deeper emotionally. But often we fail to, um, we fail to try to continue to grow spiritually. And we just sort of let that sit. And we, talked, we got to the point where we were looking at First Peter and we talked about the, the, the milk, the good milk that we should be nourishing ourselves with so that we can grow and continue to grow. And, and we ended by reaching the point where the, the spiritual milk, that good spiritual milk, is the, the teachings of Jesus and that we should be continually looking to Jesus and allowing ourselves to be challenged in our understanding by Jesus. And so this week, we're going to look at some of those words of Jesus in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the man heard that he, this, he became very sad, for he was very rich when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. May we be blessed this morning by the reading and the hearing of God's word. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for this, this time, this place, that we can gather together with friends and family to worship you, to sing your praises, to, to enjoy each other's company, to laugh together, to, to cry together, 
to pray together and to turn to your scriptures together. And as we do that, we pray that you might open our ears that we might hear. But you know us. Sometimes we hear, but we just don't listen. And so help us to listen so that our hearts might be transformed. I pray that you would hide me behind your cross so that we can experience you. Pray this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So this particular story, if you're looking at the Gospel of Luke and you're reading through it, it, um, it begins without a change of time or place from the story before it. Which is interesting, right? Because the story before it is about the kingdom of God belonging to little children, which connects us back to then what we were talking about last week, this idea that we're supposed to be like little children. The image of a little child conjures images of trust. And it should also remind us, again, of, of last week where we were talking about spiritual infants needing the nourishment of God's word and of gift and, and grace. So somehow this has to do with the being children, like the, like the stories are not just plunk, plunk, plunk. It's like any good story, right? There's, there's a flow to it. And so there's this, there's this connection somehow to what's going on here, to the previous one about being little children. And upon hearing the words about being like little children, the, it leads this wealthy ruler to ask the question, what about me? But what about me? And if you think about it, often that is the one question that we really want to ask. What about me? Um, I think if we're not careful, we do that even with our relationship with God, right? We ask the question, but what about, what about me? What about my concerns? What about my cares? What about the things that I'm interested in? You can hear it sometimes even in our prayer concerns. It's all the things that are going to make my life or the people that I care about their lives better. But there's something very interesting in the way that Jesus answers the question, what about me? What the rich young ruler is doing, I think, is the same thing that, that we do by asking the question, what about me? The question really is about, what about me and my security? What about me and my happiness? What about me and, and my eternal reward? We spend our lives trying to create this sense of security. I think especially in our culture, and I can really only speak to our culture because that's my culture, but we seem to spend our lives trying to create a sense of security, which I think most of us, push come to shove, would acknowledge it's a false sense of security. But we, we do, right? We're, we're busy trying to put all these things around us 
in order to make us feel somehow safe, to provide comfort for us, to provide assurance for us. As I was thinking about that, it reminded me of this video clip uh, from a movie that some of us might be familiar with. Let's look at it for a second. Well, I'm going to go then. <laughs> and I don't need any of this. I don't need this stuff. And I don't need you. I don't need anything except this. So it's silly, right? But, but sometimes I think that's a really good image of how we go through life. It's like, I've got everything I need right here. I don't need anything. Did you even hear him say, I don't even need you, right? He was talking to who had been his significant other. I don't even need you. I don't need, but then we go along and something catches our eye. We're like, well, I need that. That's all I need. And then I'll be happy. And then once we get that, there's always going to be the one more thing that we, but we need that too, and so we kind of run through life, like, I need, I need this, I need that. The things that we try, that we use to try and create this sense of security, often, though, end up being the very things that keep us from growing spiritually. So, so what if feeling safe and secure isn't always a sign of God's presence? What if, what if feeling safe and secure isn't always a sign of God's presence, but it's actually a pattern of fear? that keeps God at a distance. In, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus addresses three things that keep us from growing in our faith. Right? There, there are three things that we actually are trying to use in order to tr- create for us um, this a feeling of safety and security. The first thing is, is we, we often try to find comfort and assurance actually in our religion or in our beliefs. We, we get to the point where we think, okay, as long as I have the right religion, the right set of beliefs, 
then I am secure. But in actuality, being a person of faith isn't about being secure. It's about being put in positions where we are unsafe. It's about being challenged in our relationship with God, with Jesus, to, to take ourselves out of our comfort zones. We don't, we don't enter into a relationship with Jesus because it's the safe thing to do. Look at the disciples. Look at the New Testament. Is it the safe thing to do for them to enter into a relationship with Jesus? It's the exact opposite. What would be safe for Peter would to be go back to fishing. But somehow along the 2,000 years, we have flipped it, and we now think by being in a relationship with Jesus, I am now safe. My future is secure. Ask Paul how secure his future was now after leaving this Pharisee sect. You see, actually what Jesus does is he comes in to this group of religious people who, who feel like as long as they get that right, everything else will be okay. He comes in there and he begins to question everything. He, he begins to cause them to question everything. If you look at the way that the, the New Testament authors write and refer to scriptures, they're actually heretics because the religious establishment at the time looked at what they were saying and they said, no, that's not true at all. It, became very, it was a very difficult, very precarious situation that they found themselves in. And I think for many of us, questioning our faith can be painful and frightening because we think that we're somehow leaving God behind. When in fact, we're only leaving behind ideas about God that we are used to surrounding ourselves with. We're, we're used to surrounding ourselves with the small God, the God within our control, the God who moves in our circles, the God who agrees with us. But following Jesus is about going to the God that you can't control, that is beyond you, that doesn't always agree with us. A God who can be comfortably captured in our minds with little else for us to find out apart from an occasional adjustment here and there is actually no God at all. That God's too small. If you can capture God in your mind, if I can capture God in my mind and figure that I've got God all figured out just every now and then a little tweak, that's a very small God because I've got a very small mind. God should be blowing us away. So the rich young ruler says, but I've done all the religious things. And he says, hey, that's good, but that's not it. There's, there's more. He says, what about all that material stuff you've got? I, did, I would like to point this out. A lot of times when we read this passage of scripture, or even when we think about like, Oh, what are the things I need to do to follow Jesus? The only thing we actually ever think about is, is one-third of what Jesus is addressing here, the material stuff. That's just scratching the surface, but he does address it, right? He says, 
He says, look, if you're finding your comfort and your assurance in your material stuff, if you think that's going to keep you safe, you're going to have to let that go if you really want to follow me. And then, he, then there's this couple little things. Verse 26 seems to indicate that the people viewed the wealth as the ones blessed or favored by God. And, and that's, that, that was, you know, if you go back again and you look at the culture at the time, if you were wealthy, then you were blessed by God. If you were not wealthy, then somehow you had sinned. If you were sick, if you had a disease, if you had leprosy, somehow, who sinned? Was it them or their father? Right? There was this sort of this mindset that if you were wealthy and you appeared to be blessed that way, then you somehow were, were blessed by God. But what Jesus is doing, again, is he's flipping this whole thing upside down. But the people ask the question in verse 26, right? Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? I mean, if the ones that are blessed by God can't be saved, then who can be saved? Verse 27, he replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Your faith shouldn't be placed in your stuff, right? Your faith should be placed in God, not in your religion, not in your wealth, but in God. Like, previous story, a little child. Trust. What are you trusting in? Are you, are you trusting in your own understanding of God or are you trusting God? Are you trusting in your material stuff? to keep you safe, to make your life everything it needs to be, or are you trusting in God? And then the third thing, right? The, the disciples point out, they're like, look, we left everything. We left all of those relationships behind to follow you. What are you telling us here? And I think that's the third thing that Jesus is pointing to here. You see, sometimes what we do is we try to find our comfort and our assurance in our relationships. And, and those are things that can actually hold us back from truly just following Jesus. T to explain this, I've got to kind of explain two different ways that we form relationships beyond family, right? Fam you, you know the joke, right? You, you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends and, and stuff like that. Um, but, but here's how often we form relationships. There's, of course, there's all kinds of ways. But usually it's, there's something we all like or there's something we all don't like. Right? And then so sometimes we've got to get a bigger picture to find the things that we all like. And often what happens is when it's a, based on something we don't like, our our picture's getting narrower. Let me explain what I mean by that. So, for example, David and I this morning were talking about baseball. We are friends. We both like baseball. It's something we have in common. It's a relationship that we have, baseball. Don't get us talking about the teams. All right? Because it starts to break down. I told him I have a Mets shirt on underneath this shirt, and he said, keep it covered. <laughs> right? So when things are built on love, mutual love for or care for something, it seems to be a bigger picture. When they're, 
based on what we don't like, it becomes a narrow focus. We're looking like this through the world. And so what happens is, if our relationships are built on the things that we don't like, or, or even, even sometimes if they're built on the things that we do like, but it's a narrow focus like, what happens is, when we start questioning that like or dislike, we run the risk of losing those friends. Does that, does that make sense? That is a scary thing. And so if, if, you, if, if you really try, like if you're like, okay, I'm, I am going to believe in a God that's bigger than one I can hold in my mind. Okay? And I'm hoping right now that that's not a big argument for us, right? Like, yeah, I mean, sure, if I could capture God completely in my mind, that's a pretty small God. Okay, but, it, but if you're going to really take that seriously and be like, all right, so let's take Jesus really seriously. What is, like, what is happening here? You may find that the more serious you take Jesus, like those disciples, the more risk you run of losing some of your friends, even in church. Right? Because questioning our faith can be a painful and frightening because, because we think again, right, like we're leaving behind God, but we're not. couple things. I think for me, the hardest one is the second one, the one about the material stuff. It's hard. And, and every so often, especially as a United Methodist minister, like they really challenge you on that, like when they're going to reappoint you. Because it's like, I got a house, right? Like I've got things, I've got stuff. And then Denise is really good. She's like, well, let's use this as an opportunity to get rid of our stuff. And I'm like, but is that, don't, that's my stuff. <laughs> I remember when we moved from Florida to Tennessee, I moved first. And, and Denise had a yard sale while I was up here. <laughs> right? And I was like, did you get rid of any of my stuff? And she said, are you missing anything? <laughs> Point made. Right? point made. Because here's the other thing about these things. Eventually, they can actually become the very thing you worship. Let's just take Robbie, for example, with money. I'm not saying Robbie uh, worships money, but I am saying that Robbie's a good example of how this sort of begins to move, right? So Robbie likes to earn money. Um, and it's not because he's afraid of where his next meal's going to come um, or that he needs money for rent. He's only 14, for goodness sake. We're going to wait till he's 16, but <clears throat> right. But it's interesting to see how his view of money has changed over time. At first, he would spend it as soon as he got it, right? If you're, like you know somebody, it's like, man, that just burns a hole in your pocket. It's gone as quick as like. And some people like they they're even bur they're even spending it before they got it, right? Those of you that are younger and you get in that habit, beware of credit cards. 
So at first he would spend it as soon as he had it, but then he began to save a little in order to purchase bigger things. And lately he's been talking about saving more so he can get things when he grows up and he's moved out. So like, for example, he wants dog or dogs. And so he's saving his money to be able to buy dogs when he moves out of our house. See, over time, our view of material things change. And then one day we wake up and we wonder who owns who. The same thing happens, like, when we, our religion, our faith, who owns who? Does God own you or do you own God? Relationships. There should be no ownership in any of that anyway. Nobody owns another person. Right? But that, that relationship one, it's hard. It's hard. I can remember when I was, like whenever somebody really begins to take their, fear, their faith too seriously, it can, be, it can become a challenge to the rest of the group. I remember I was in youth ministry. And we were, um, we were the youth were just on fire has anybody ever worked with youth before? Yeah, like they get, like, like they get super excited about stuff, don't they? I, 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 I can't do it anymore because of middle school boys, but, <clears throat> right? I think the loudest laugh was from those of us that have middle school boys. But, but I, like, I love when like the Madison's friends are over and, and the, it's those high school kids, the older, older high school kids, and they get excited about stuff and they want to talk about stuff. And I remember in the, as I was in youth ministry, you could see that happening in their faith. They would get so excited. And I can remember watching the parents begin to get really nervous that they were going to take this stuff a little too seriously. Could you imagine being concerned that someone might take Jesus too seriously? And they wouldn't verbalize it that way, but you could see it that way. I remember one time we were talking about like, like, like just going after and following Jesus and whatever that, like that needs to become the most important thing for you. And I remember there was a parent, he was volunteering that night and he goes, but don't let your grades slip. Yeah. And I just wanted to be like, get a C. It'll be okay. I did. <laughs> It'll be Okay. I should show you pictures of me from high school. It turn, you, they turn out all right, I think. You might be sitting there going, don't use him as an example. I also remember when I began to take my faith seriously. And again, I, you know, I have ebbs and flows in this. There are times when I'm like, I am on... I'm on fire. And there's other times I'm like, hold on a second. It's getting scary. But I remember the first time, like I really started to take my faith seriously. I was working um, actually for my father. And I showed up at work and I had a cross on. And he said to me, what is that explicitive, right? Like, what is that you're wearing? I said, it's my cross. He said, put that underneath your shirt. Jesus is for cowards and weaklings. What do you do in that moment? What do you do? 
Relationships, we want them. They're great things. Sometimes. Now, it's at this point right in the sermon where most of us are anticipating what we're going to say is that you have this big hole in your heart and the only thing that can fill that hole is Jesus, right? Has everybody ever heard that sermon before? All right, that's what we're probably anticipating. Here we go. I've heard it before. But what about this? How many of us, even after we begin to follow Jesus, still feel that hole? Honestly. If we didn't, we wouldn't be accumulating stuff. How many of us in here, other than me, I've already confessed, can accumulate stuff? Sure we do. Yeah, we do. Right? It, it, it sounds great. But what if, what if this is about something even deeper than that? Has anybody ever heard of the psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan? L-A-C-A-N. Yeah, Jason has. He was in my office earlier. It's not to be confused with Jacques Lacan. Jacques Lacan. Right? So he's a psychoanalyst. He developed a theory on human development. Now, follow me for a second here, okay? Uh, and one of the first stages, in fact, I think it might even be the first stage, is called the mirror phase. It happens around the ages of 12 months to 18 months. And what happens is we, every one of us have do, has done this, we develop a, a sense of I and I not. Right? There's this understanding all of a sudden of a separateness. And, and we begin to become aware that we are not connected. So before this point, we, see that there's, we, do, we don't see any barriers between ourselves and anything that's beyond our own skin. We, there's no self-differentiation. It's just all is. Does this sound familiar? Okay. If you've ever read any of this, if not, trust me. If not, go back and look. Don't trust me. Whatever. There's this development of I that happens. And what that means for us, just on a real basic level, is this. What that means is that one of the most basic experiences that we have of this world involves loss. Right? For the, one of the first experiences that we have, we feel separated from something we assume that, that was something that we once had. Now, I say assume because we're actually becoming aware of a reality, but it feels as though it is loss. Does that make sense? Does that, seriously, I need to know, does that make sense? Okay, let me try again. You already were separated. You already were an individual. But until you reach 12 to 18 months, you don't know it. Then you become aware of it, and you feel a sense of loss. One of the first human experiences you have is a sense of loss, but it's not a real loss because you never had it. Does that make sense? Great. If you still don't understand John Ross, I'll tell you later. I'll draw a picture. Okay. So then what happens is, it's like from that point on, we do everything we can to fill this sense of loss that was never real to begin with. Oh, wait a second. Are you telling me 
that I am a complete human being just the way I am? Yes. Just the way you are. You are the way God created you. Your perceptions might change over time. But you're you. So what if this? Let me end with this. What if this? What if Christ doesn't come to fill the empty cup that we seem to bring, but rather he smashes it to pieces? And what he's actually bringing is freedom. Right? He's he's bringing us freedom. Not from our dissatisfaction, but freedom from our felt need to escape them. Think about that. Amen.